It is the evening of February 22nd, 2023. Uh, pitchers and catchers and position players have now reported to Goodyear, Arizona. Uh, so we're getting all of the lovely uh, photo day um, the pictures coming in. We're seeing uh, players taking live batting practice. We're getting all the wonderful injury news that we inevitably know is going to happen early in spring every single year, but still kind of blindsides you uh, uh, whether you want it to or not. Um, all those good things happening as we begin to ramp ourselves up towards the upcoming Cincinnati Reds baseball season. Um, so we're back and we're going to do a little recording tonight. We got a, a fun guest to, to help us out uh, through some of the storylines we've got early in camp right now. Um, I'm Wick, uh, back here hosting Walkswell Haunt for the second episode of the, the rear-randed old Red Reporter podcast. Um, joining me tonight, uh, my co-host Brandon Crailing. BK, what's up, buddy? How's it going, fellas? Yeah, just uh, it's a it's a balmy. Uh, it was like seventy something degrees here today, so uh, I think uh, we're already in mid season form. Yeah, you uh, you are a day behind where we are. It was uh, sixty three two days ago. <laughs> it's it's ah it, yeah. all right now. We have we have odd degree. And it feels like minus eleven. It snowed about three inches, and it's miserable outside. So. Yep. Um, if you hear some snap, crackle, and popping right now, it's because I'm sitting next to a fireplace, uh, which is actually a pretty damn nice way to record a podcast. Yeah, I mean, right that's the, the 21st uh, century version of the uh, fireside chat. Right? Fireside chats. It was there nice having the windows open chats yesterday, but uh, this will <laughs> do for now. So um, nice. joining us tonight also is Doug Gray from uh, RedsMinorLeagues.com, if I can talk correctly. Also, Red Duck Nation. Uh, Doug, what's up, buddy? Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody. I don't have big expectations for the Reds this year, but I'm still excited that baseball's here. Absolutely. Also, I, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, expectations, you kind of have to have a baseline knowledge of what players are capable of to know what to expect from them. Um, a lot of talent out there, but I honestly don't really know what to expect from like a solid 20 of the 26 guys that I'm expecting to make the opening day roster. Um, <laughs> and that includes some guys that have been around for a while. That includes Joey Votto, because I have no idea how healthy he's going to be. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be fun to kind of see what breaks correctly, what breaks poorly, what breaks in half, um, because there's just so many unknowns out there that um, it's hard to be super optimistic about that many unknowns. But at the same point in time, I think uh, through the collective unknown, there's going to be at least three or four players that we look up in a couple months and we're like, wow, they're, they're playing a lot better than I really expected them to. And that's kind of cool. And, you know, it, it's not quite as fun as looking up and seeing yourself, you know, four games up in the standings, but um, you know, you got to work with what you've got and that's what they've given us. So uh, we'll break it down. That's, that's what we're going to try to do. So um, we've rebranded this podcast as walks will haunt. So we're going to shift up the format of this because we can, and why the hell not? So we're going to jump right into fan questions because We've got a couple good ones, so we'll go with that. We can. Um, yeah. we can. Why not? We'll do that first, and then if we get around to talking about what we had on our outline later on, cool. If not, well, we'll just keep asking for more fan questions. So um, we'll start off with a special one. We've got Andrew Meads, who's been a longtime commenter at Red Reporter. Um, he and his lovely wife just welcomed their first child into this world earlier this week. So we'll give a big uh, round of applause and congrats to Crawford yeah, um, for, for joining the dad club. It's been um, uh been a long time since he was uh, burning packages of Oreos and taking pictures of it for uh, Red Reporter. It. Uh, some of the original greatest fan posts out there. Yes, yeah. those were tremendous. Yeah. I, I miss those days. Um, but yeah, well, congrats to, to, to him. And 
He shot us a question saying, I want to know if you all think Scott Hatterberg is a good player. Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, Scott Hatterberg just turned 53 years old and hadn't played baseball in 15 years. So uh, my guess is he probably would not be very good. Was was Scott Hatterberg a good player is another fun question, though, because I would I would say yes. Scott Hatterberg was a very good, very good player. He had a better on base percentage as a Cincinnati Red than the asshole wearing number 14 in the statue out front of the stadium. So um, he's got that going for him. What are, what are your all thoughts on Scott Hatterberg? Uh, I'm wondering if if you were to take 53-year-old Scott Hatterberg and then uh, the gentleman who played him in Moneyball in the movie and gave them – pitched 10, 10 balls to him uh, for, for BP, uh, who do you think would perform better at this point? <laughs> think, do you think Chris, Chris Pratt could uh, knock a couple out of the park? Who's, who's, have, who's tossing? <laughs> that's a good question also, right? Uh, Homer <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> Absolutely not. He wouldn't make contact. Uh, I feel like I, I've got to give Hatterberg the benefit of the doubt there that he would at least have the better puncher's chance, uh, given that was his profession for a while. I also have no idea what Scott's <laughs> been up to for the last 15 years. He might be uh, the most in shape 53 year old who's ever uh, graced the planet at this point. I really don't know, but um, I was a big Scott Hatterberg fan. That was that was a good bridge uh, to Joey Votto at first base back in the back in the early days of Red Reporter, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember uh, being on Red Reporter, watching or uh, listening to the uh, Banana Phone of uh, when when Adam Dunn called in. So uh, oh, obviously this Adam is a nod to that. Yes. Yeah, Adam from Milwaukee. Oh, good lord. Uh, um, I mean, I guess the next question is: Are we all wearing shirts or? Right. <laughs> I, I saw this question coming, so so no, but uh, I, I might I might put one on for the the second half of this. Oh yeah, I'm 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 uh, I'm in sweatpants and, and sockless. I got bare feet out here <laughs> up next to the fireplace. That's that's a good start. So that, that's how you record podcasts these days, folks. For all those um, uh, people out there learning how to do the podcast process, this is this is being professional over here. So, um, so yeah, Scott Hatterberg, uh, good 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 throwback to uh, some some good old days of. Well, let's be honest. The last time Scott Hatterberg was playing, the Reds were mired in being terrible. Uh, as they often are, um, but they had a really cool stash of prospects, Votto included, who were just sitting down there waiting as one of the top farm systems in baseball uh, to hopefully emerge and take the Reds to places that they hadn't been in a long, long time. Um, and that time it worked out. So, you know, maybe Scott Hatterberg is he's the he's the Jake Fraley of this this era. We don't know. <laughs> we might find out. So. Um, I thought I thought Jake Fraley was like gonna be a prospect. Like, did they brought him in? And it was like, oh no, he, he's gonna be uh, the center fielder in the future or whatever. Yeah, he's he's gonna bat third and fourth for the, the and, now. And now, and now he's gonna be he's gonna be Scott Hatterberg. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. How, yeah, how, how, did, how did his stock fall this in the offseason? Well, here we go. Here we can we, we can we can segue into our uh, our second fan question from our friend Carlos Carlos Guevara. Which two prospects do you see the Reds packaging in a deal next offseason to help the 2024 team win? Um, this is kind of this is if we're talking about a bridge here, and, and I don't want to give Fraley uh, too little credit because he hit really damn well down the stretch last year. If you, I, if, if I could, if I would have thought ahead of time, and if I was going to talk about Jake Fraley, I'd pull up the article I wrote about him. Um, but more or less over the last 180 to 200 plate appearances of the season last year, he was one of the 25 best hitters in baseball, which is not nothing. Um, it's also not outlandish to say Jake Fraley can't do that. 
you know, hitting well has not been his problem. It's been staying on the field that's been his problem. Um, but for a farm system that is full of 20, 21, 22 year old players, a guy who's what, 26, 27, um, you wonder how long the Reds are committed to him, despite the fact that he's still cheap, which is good for the Reds at this point in time. Um, but back to Carlos's question if the Reds are figuring out what they've got with their young guys and their rookies this year, seeing how their prospects progress, and they look up and they want to try to do a deal either at the trade deadline this year or this offseason to bring in a more established player somewhere uh, to kind of augment how close they are to being a not rebuilding team and to being an emerging team. Um, that's an interesting question because a, what's the weakness? You know, what are they looking to add? You know, are they looking to add a, a proven veteran starting pitcher to go along with uh, green Lodolo and Ashcraft and maybe some of the other guys who are hoping to break through this year? Um, or do they try to address the fact that they're losing Joey Votto after this year, assuming everything goes the way we expect it to, and they might need a more established offensive player out there. Um, that's a pretty intriguing question, Doug. I, I think we'll turn to you here. There's such a glut of prospects right now up the middle, shortstop, potential second base guys, those kind of players. Um, obviously, that's a good thing because shortstop's the best. You want to have as many shortstop as possible because if you can play shortstop, you can play everywhere on the field in theory. Um, is that glut something that they could potentially use to address to go get, I don't know, Randy Arena in the offseason, if the Reds decide to get a guy like that to be an anchor in the offensive lineup. Is that somewhere you think you see them potentially dealing from depth? I mean, I think that's probably the only spot you really can deal from depth, and they've got a whole lot of it. Um, I mean, I, I think that we can all agree that Ellie De La Cruz, short of something crazy, is not going to get moved. Yeah. But, I mean, behind him, I mean, just at shortstop, you've got Noel Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Matt McLean. I mean, Spencer Steer probably is. He's not a big league shortstop, but, I mean, he's played some minor league shortstop. Um, if if he – I mean, where where does he play right now? Third base, first base? I mean, he's not going to play second because that's Jonathan India's spot. Well, I, I mean, I think that he's at the third baseman on opening day. I'm going to go I mean, yeah, go that far. Sure, but, but, I think he's going to get that shot, yeah. I mean, he's going to get that shot. Let's just say he's just okay. He doesn't have a big season. He's just okay. He's solid. He's fine. But – what if Christian Encarnacion Strand just tears up the minor leagues? Well, he's a third baseman slash first baseman. I mean, maybe Spencer Steer could be, you know, prospect depth that you could trade. I mean, they, they have a lot of options there, and there's just, I mean, there's no way they're going to have room for all these guys. And plus, some of these guys aren't going to work out. I mean, in all likelihood, right. half of them aren't going to become everyday big leaguers. Well, you want to make sure you make the right decision on who you're going to keep and who you're going to trade. Um, I mean... Yeah, it surprise I mean, I, me if it's going to be you know if you know they move Matt McLean. I, I think that on when you really look at the depth chart, even though he's a top ten prospect for me, I mean he's like fourth in line at two or three different positions that he plays. Right. And I I mean it's just you know that that's just a bad position to be in if you plan on sticking around in, a, in an organization. Right. It reminds me a lot of uh, when when the Reds had Todd Frazier. And it was kind of, you know, it was, he was doing all the right things and he was, uh, you know, really, as he was coming up, he was, you know, tearing up the minor leagues and hitting every, at every level. And the question we always had was, oh, well, where's he going to play? You know, he's not going to play first. He's not going to play, you know, probably can't handle short at the big league level. And they, you know, ended up uh, kind of clearing a spot for him at third and it, it worked out. 
But, you know, there was you know, that talk of him moving to the outfield and, and all that. So it, it kind of reminds me of like of that in that, you know, as long as he if, if he hits, they'll find a place for him. It's just a matter of, you know, can he get to that point and, you know, really force their hand? Yeah, and let's let's not forget that, you know, this time, uh, what, barely a year ago, we were sitting around talking about Jose Barrero still being included in Baseball America's not just top 100 prospects, but as the top rated prospect in the system by Baseball America, who is a, a, a organization that I respect tremendously about their, their valuation of prospects and how much things could change on the pecking order, so to speak, in just one calendar year. Um, a whole lot of things could happen just even in the first couple months of this year. Uh, they might try to experiment somebody in center field. You know, obviously, Elie De La Cruz, I think, could be a tremendous center fielder, given his physical tools. Uh, and in theory, he could hit well enough to be a plus overall player out there with the bat. Uh, Noelfi Marte's already started playing some third base in uh, Arizona Fall League play. Um, you take those two guys out of the shortstop equation and Jose Barrero doesn't hit again this year. And suddenly it's like, well, do they really have a glut at shortstop? Or is it Matt McLean's job to, to, to need to have right now? Um you know, okay. a lot of things can, well, and, can you know, change and shift in that regard. At any point, you know, if Jonathan India gets hurt, then all of a sudden one of those, you know, prized middle infield spots opens up and, you know, maybe you don't deal from that depth. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Very, very true. And, I, um, it's a good position to be in, obviously. You know, they've got a lot of guys who in theory have versatility, but – uh, this is also a great question because we're also trying to project where they're going to be a year from now. We're not projecting it right now. Um, and who knows? I mean, we could have four of those guys that we've already talked about being in different positions. Uh, and it, it could be Edwin Arroyo, who's the top prospect of the system uh, <laughs> this time of year from now. Uh, and it's a guy we well, haven't even talked about yet because he's barely in, in A-ball. So, um, so, I mean, this, yeah. this actually kind of brings up a good like question to me from the, in my in my mind um, as far as – if you're the Reds and you're at the point where you're at and you have all of these young guys and you've got all these uh, prospects that are that are performing well, you have a lot of high-rated high prospects, and you – let's concede that the big league team is, is not going to be a playoff team this year probably. So – Probably, probably. What, I mean – is it, is it an opportunity to kind of rush some of those guys up and give them – give them the big league at bats with big league instruction with just kind of getting used to seeing big league pitching and living the lifestyle a little bit. Um, so that, you know, when it does come time to, um, you know, even if they struggle coming up it, more than they would, if they had had more seasoning down in the minor leagues. Um, I'm curious to, to kind of get your guys' take on what the best kind of course of action would be for, for the Reds, like, is it is it time to be aggressive with guys like that, or um, you know, should they continue to just kind of like stay the course with their player development and uh, you know, just just like let them season in AAA as long as as long as they need to and run out you know quadruple A guys you know in the in the, at the big league level. What do, what do you guys think? I think that it might depend on the player. You know, you, you look at a guy like Ellie De La Cruz or Christian Encarnacion Strand. You know, they've got all these tools. They can hit the ball 10 miles. But they both kind of had that really questionable strikeout-to-walk ratio this past year. Um, right. Now, I'll say this much. Watching Ellie De La Cruz, I could see 
from at bat to about him putting things together. I do think that his he's going to be able to cut down his strikeout rate a little bit in the big leagues, and I think he's going to walk more moving forward than he has in the past, um, just based on watching him every day. Going, you know, get, you can you can really see him making those adjustments in game as he saw a pitcher throw more, and the more mm-hmm. the higher you get, you're going to have more information at your fingertips. You're going to have better scouting reports on all these pitches you're facing. Granted, it's a lot better now than it was even a couple of years ago in the minor leagues. Um, but I think with guys like that, you may want to take your time with them development-wise in AAA. Whereas a guy like Matt McClain, you know, he gets the strike zone very well. I think that he's got some things needed to work on swing-wise to get the most out of his bat. But I wouldn't be concerned about him being completely overwhelmed if you rushed him, so to speak, up to the big leagues. Because I, I think that he understands the strike zone more than those guys do. I just don't think that his bat is as good as those two. But I, I don't think that he would just feel completely overwhelmed either facing big league pitching. Um, yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the aggressive approach to the plate versus the passive, you know, for lack of a better word, approach to the plate. And if you're tasked with having to be passive, I, I think McLean has a little bit more of um, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, I can't think of it. Uh, anyway, it's almost like defensive. If you're forced to be defensive, which is something you might expect a rookie to be at the big league level for the first time, I think he's almost got that built in where Ellie's never had to be defensive and it's not been his mindset. He's been aggressive and it's worked for him tremendously. Um, he didn't miss a beat when jumping from high A to double A last year uh, in many of the same, uh, for many of the same reasons, because he's aggressive and everybody knows he's aggressive and it's still working out for him. Uh, the jump to the big leagues might be the one spot where that might take a little bit more of a tweaking. And I do feel like McLean's, uh, you know, well, I say that, that's how he was up until last year. And last year, suddenly he started swinging for more power and uh, it, it was a different profile for him. So McLean, perhaps more than anybody else, uh, not in terms of a, how excited I am about them uh, way, but in a, uh, seeing if what he's worked on begins to pay off more kind of way, he might be the guy that I'm watching more to start this season than anybody else, because um, mm-hmm. he was a guy who was picked to be a fast mover for all the reasons we're talking about, quote unquote, professional hitter, um, a first round pick multiple times over uh, a, a long history of being uh, a known quantity out there. Um, the way his kind of entire approach to the plate, tw- you know, tweaked last year relative to what he had always been before, which is, uh, you know, high contact, high average, not a ton of power, decent power. And the way he flipped that last year, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether he continues with that and makes the adjustments if he kind of moves back to the other direction because he realizes that might be his quicker path to the big leagues. Um, and obviously, as we talked about before, where they actually choose to play him, considering as Doug mentioned, he's second, third, or fourth at about three different positions in the depth chart right now. Um, he might be the right. guy that I'm, I'm more, most interested to see uh, how he comes out of the gate this year because, let's be honest, he might be the first guy called up out of this entire group if Jose Barrero isn't hitting or if – uh, somebody gets hurt in the middle infield. It might be McLean, the guy they turn to first and say, well, he's ready. Let's try him out and let's let everybody else out there kind of marinate. And not that that necessarily puts him higher up on the depth chart than some of the other, other guys in that, that same category. He just might be the first stop gap to get the opportunity. Um, right. I don't yeah, know. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you guys about Matt McLean and even that, you know, when you think about it, you know, he's two and a half years older than Ellie is, you know, even <laughs> you're given their like 
respective levels and stuff and just kind of what they've done, uh, you know, up to this point, it, it does like kind of hit home when it's like, well, he had all that seasoning in college, you know, he was definitely going to be a fast mover. I definitely agree that he's probably going to debut. Like he's going to be the first one called up. I think if, if, you know, assuming he doesn't make the team, but you know, the, the, one thing about Ellie is like I I don't know how much it's going to do him more good to see more AAA pitching, and you know from you know I I think that there are probably you know those peripherals that they're looking at as far as like strikeout to walk ratio stuff like that that they're really going to be using to judge his readiness or not, but um, I. You know, it, it it does feel a lot like there will be those kind of growing pains when he gets to the big leagues, and it's you know to me there there is I think a question of when do you want to do that? Do you want to do that yeah. now in a you know a we'll we'll already call this a lost season, or do you want to you know have him working through those things while kind of you while you have the rest of the team kind of working in that window to try and, you know, be competitive. Yeah. Cause but. I think call, call calling Ellie up, like you're calling the future of the franchise up. You're calling up the guy that everybody else who has watched the team be bad for as long as they are, are like, this is the superstar who's going to take us to the next level. You're not getting that by calling up Matt McClain. You know, you're, right. you're getting a guy who you hope turns out to be good, but let's be honest, the Reds have, you know, the last couple of times they called up, you know, top quote unquote top prospects uh, hasn't exactly gone swimmingly to start. So, um, you know, obviously Nick Senzel, we're still hoping to get something out of him. Um, Hunter yeah. Green, when he got called I mean, up was, it was struggled for the first couple of months before really turned the corner out there as well. Uh, you call up Ellie as young as he is, you got to get that timing right. Cause you don't want him yeah. to struggle you you want to make sure it's the right time for it. And I'm just not sure that they rush that. Even if, even if he comes out and has the, you know, the classic Chris Bryant uh, type uh, spring training where he hits more home runs than anybody else. And you're like, well, uh, he needs to work on his defense for a couple weeks. Like what do you, you know? Yeah. You're coming, I mean, the only, the only yeah. I mean, the well, only guy that I can have yeah. a whole lot of like other uh, residual um, goodwill, uh, he's going to have to, I think he's good enough to force his hand, but again, the Reds are going to have to be just a little bit patient on that because the expectations are going to be riding on his shoulders so much differently than anybody else that um, I just, I hope they, I hope they get that right. Well, I hope they get a lot of things right, but that's the one thing that I really hope for his development and for the future of everybody who's looking to him to be the the next savior's uh, sake also. Yeah. And when you, when you think about like the, what the, which, prospects have they done this with and had success you know i think you don't have to look too far back to see you know jonathan india and it's like you know if they can kind of replicate that you know matt mcclain feels a lot like india just in that sense of you know played you know middle infield at uh you know division one school for you know as long as as long as he did and and so it 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 seems like maybe that's you know, where that's, that's probably McLean's ceiling, but you know, maybe, maybe the answer is just to send, uh, send Ellie to go play for uh, UCLA for a couple of years and uh, just kind of get him, uh, (laughs) you know, get him some at bats uh, 
in the College World Series and see what happens. That oh, would be. Man. I don't. I'd feel bad for every pitcher that had to face him. They, they, <laughs> like, can they bring out the like the the the, the, the pitching uh, screen? Because I mean, I don't want to see a pitcher throw the ball Ellie? to Ellie with a metal bat. Like, I don't. Bat? I don't care. I don't oh, care if they're like you, dead end now or whatever. I know. And he, he would hit eight hundred foot home runs. I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, and he'd do it because he was trying to. Also, he'd just be like, "Nope, I'm going to try to hit this as far as I possibly can right now." I mean, um, I'm just thinking about you know some of these college relievers that throw eighty six mile per hour fastballs. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, Good. That's freaking luck, dude. That's that's fun to think about. Um, well, considering. I made a Jonathan India reference to Brandon Williamson in an article uh, yesterday, I guess it was. Um, let's talk about Brandon Williamson. He seems to kind of be the, uh, you know, obviously we've not started actual games yet. When we do, it will be Brandon Williamson actually starting that game. Uh, he was tabbed by the Reds to be the, the, the first pitcher to get run out to the mound uh, for their Cactus League opener, uh, which I believe is Saturday. Is that Saturday? Yes. That's right. Yes. Um, He's a guy who's, I mean, obviously a, a very talented pitcher, uh, a, a big, big piece, if not the headline piece uh, of the deal that brought in um, uh, the first haul from the Seattle Mariners when they sent Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez West uh, almost one year ago today. Um, a guy who's been familiar for a while, a second round pick, a former top 100 overall prospect by a couple different spots, uh, struggled finding the strike zone last year in his first year in the Reds organization. Uh, but reached Triple A, and despite you know having a little bit of a dip in, in, in his, uh, his strikeout rate and an increase in his walk rate, is still a guy whose stuff is still very much there. Um, and knock on wood, uh, and knock on everything out there, he's healthy. It's not an issue about being an injury uh, per se uh, with what his performance was last year, and he's hoping to kind of build off of that frustration. Um, got some news earlier today also that uh, Justin Dunn, who's in competition for that fifth starter role coming out of spring training uh, is dealing with a shoulder injury and potentially is going to be set back again. Uh, another former Seattle prospect who came over in one of the big deals last year. Also um, given the news that Brandon Williamson has looked good in camp is going to be 25 and is kind of that next pitching prospect who's on the cusp to kind of break through pair that with the done news pair that with Luis Sessa who had pitched in a starting role last year, but has kind of been a reliever for the last five, six years uh, almost exclusively um there seems to be a spot in that rotation that's just kind of like it's you can almost pencil brendan williamson in assuming he doesn't pitch his way out of that role in spring training um doug what are your thoughts on his readiness right now and what seems to be kind of just the very uh, uh parting of the waters path for him to kind of take that job and run with it in much the same way that india did at second base two years ago i mean charlie coldsmith of the cincinnati Enquirer wrote about williamson I don't know, two or three days ago. And he had mentioned that Williamson picked up a cutter, which he didn't have before. More pitches is always better as long as they're good enough. And that one of the things that Williamson decided after watching you know video of his starts last year is that, you know, he needs or he's going to try and not make every breaking ball the most incredible breaking ball he's ever thrown in his life. Because two or three out of ten of those work out the way that you want to, but that also leads to quite a few really bad pitches. So he's just trying to be more consistent with it and just have them all be good rather than all of them be, you know, the nastiest breaking ball you've ever seen in your life. And I, I think that probably does speak to one of the reasons his control was so questionable and inconsistent last year is that maybe he was trying to do way too much. 
Um, and so you know, hopefully that'll lead to the Brandon Williamson that the Reds thought they traded for last year, guy who didn't have any walk issues and piled up a bunch of strikeouts versus a guy who really, I mean, he struggled to, to throw strikes quite often last year. Now, I, I think that, you know, the Reds are hoping that he's a guy who can kind of, you know, win this spot. I mean, he's got good stuff. And I mean, really, I mean, what are the other options they've got? A bunch of guys who were relievers that were mediocre relievers to bad relievers last year. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what, what's it, what's his realistically, what's his competition? Right. Right. I mean, I, I've got a, I've got a theory that, you know, when Williams was traded for this time a year ago, he came in as a TCU product who had been not just uh, roommates with and teammates with Nick Lodolo, but like best friends with. They spent all their time together. They spent time together this past offseason also. Um, you know, we, the, the term overthrowing gets lobbed out there a bunch, but I do kind of wonder what what, it, what had to have been going through Williamson's mind last year. When he's at double A, he's at triple A, and Lodolo's at the big league level, pitching well enough to finish sixth in the rookie of the year voting who would have finished higher than that if he would have been healthy for the entire season. Um, it almost, when you look back at it, and obviously I don't have the ability to say I've watched all of his starts and every single pitch out there, I did get a chance to watch him pitch a couple of times, and it almost looked like he was trying so hard, as you mentioned, with making every pitch the perfect pitch as opposed to getting the motions and themselves down. Um, it looked like he was pressing a little bit. It really did. And uh, almost that he was like, wait a minute, my, my buddy's there. Why can't I be there doing that at that level? How do I get there the quickest possible route? And um, it seemed like over the course of the year, it kind of almost just it snowballed a little bit. Um, so the fact that the Reds didn't go out and bring in anybody higher profile than Luke Weaver, um, who, you know, I said Williamson's in contention for the fifth starting spot. That's that's penciling Weaver in at number four, which is no guarantee for a guy who's been a reliever off and on the last couple of years. And there's, you know, not necessarily the most accomplished starter out there as well. Um, there's a real chance for Brandon Williams just to stake, stake his claim right now, not just for this season, but for the next, you know, for his career, this is his, his opening right there. Uh, and the reds didn't double up on him. They've given him that opportunity. And like you mentioned, there's, you know, Connor Overton who is coming off a back injury and had what four or five great starts last year with iffy peripherals. Um, and Sessa, who's probably going to pitch in a relief or modified role for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic, and who knows if he'll be stretched out and ready for opening day, that, that, that's it. That's that's who he's up against right now. And so um, it certainly seems like uh, all the the, uh, the stars are aligning for him to kind of be that next, next Reds rookie to kind of jump out of spring training and jump forward. Um, I hope he takes it and runs with it. I really do, because... Uh, you, you know, six six lefties who can hit ninety six on the uh, on the radar gun and have, when they kind of dial it back a little bit, a very placeable breaking ball the way he does. That's that's intriguing as hell, and I hope it's something that that the Reds end up getting a very good player out of and get it as soon as this year. Because um, if he's not ready, if he stumbles a little bit and has to take a step back, uh, what's a really good front three of a rotation turns into a really iffy. Uh, transition to the bullpen uh, uh, on on 40% of the days of the week, doesn't it? <laughs> so, uh, right. BK, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, especially if you can end up with, you know, two young lefties in your rotation, um, you know, that's I, – I don't remember the last time that the Reds had two lefties in their rotation at all. So, you know, <laughs> you, you know they've just really not really invested in left-handed pitching much at all. So, um, you know, I think it's – 
you know, as you said, I think his competition is, you know, Louis Sessa and guys like Connor Overton who have just kind of been there and can eat innings and can, can do those things. You know, I think that there is definitely an inherent risk of having too many of those really young players in your rotation to where you're going to overtax your bullpen. And, you know, you have, if you have a whole, you know, a whole week of starts where guys go, you know, four or five innings every night and your bullpen has to pick up a lot of slack. um, I think that that, you know, could end up being a situation where, you know, maybe, maybe you do lean on a Connor Overton type guy um, going forward, but, you know, I, I, I definitely think the the it's going to be the opportunity is going to be there for him to do it. It's you know just a matter of you know how how does he look against hitters and you know, how does he handle just kind of being in you know, being in those games and uh, you know I'm definitely he's he's probably the the one pitcher that I'm excited to see the most. Yeah, I agree with you in that in that regard as well. And you know, the transition to the bullpen is a, a whole a whole other uh, uh, just very very interesting aspect about how the Reds went about this particular offseason. Um, you know, we've already got news that TJ Anton is you know set back again uh, from his uh, uh, his second Tommy John surgery, and we're hoping we can get the TJ of old back at some point around the All Star break. At this point. Um, Lucas Sims is coming back off a, a completely lost season. And while he looks good right now as a guy who's, you know, not exactly been the most healthy player in his career. Also, um, those two guys were supposed to be the big additions to a bullpen that really, really struggled mightily last year. And aside from that, there's not really a whole lot of other substantial additions out there. So getting to the bullpen is going to be one thing. And then trusting a bullpen back there is going to be something completely different. And, you know, factor in Dunn's uh, injury and then that potentially taking one one long man or swing man out of the equation. Um, uh, and then you get to the left-handed pitchers where, you know, David Bell has uh, gone on record recently as hoping to, to have a second lefty in his bullpen um, this year alongside Reber San Martin, who uh, in his own right is not necessarily the most proven or accomplished uh, bullpen piece either, uh, despite the fact he pitched much better as a reliever last year than a starter. Um the Reds have brought in uh, a number of different guys on either non-roster deals or uh, as of today, they claim Bennett Sousa from the Chicago White Sox. Um, Daniel Norris is in that mix. Alex Young's in that mix. Um, they're really going to be piecing together a bullpen as they try to piece together uh, the back end of the rotation also. And, um, you know, not that, that that needs to put more pressure on Brandon Williamson per se, but um, it certainly does sort of suggest that, hey, if you can go out there and give us 150 innings this year as, you know, our fourth or fifth starter and take the job from day one and run with it, that would help backfill a lot of um, other questions that we're going to have to ask if you can't. And so um, hopefully he's the kind of player who's in the position in his career right now to take that as a, as a perk and not as a pressure point and then runs with it because uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've seen uh, a quote unquote rookie. He's not a rookie yet because he hasn't been called up yet but a guy who will be a rookie when he makes his first appearance, um, kind of have everything cleared out for him in spring training. And that's what's happened. Uh, it's something that, you know, sometimes you see later in April or sometimes in early May. Uh, but from day one, it looks like it's kind of going to be his job to lose. And they're giving him that um, that kind of endorsement of being the first pitcher out of the gate when when games get started on Saturday. And that's uh, 
knock on wood, that's going to be a good thing. And, and, and the, the next great development for um, this revamped Cincinnati Reds pitching staff. So, yeah. Uh, anything else you guys have ruminating right now? Doug, you got any uh, wonderkin prospects that are about to take the Reds baseball world by storm or anything? <laughs> um, Ellie Daly Cruz, but no, everybody knows. Yeah. Me. yeah oh I, yeah. I've heard I, of that I, I would, guy. Yeah. That guy. Um, there are two guys I'd say just to keep an eye on. I don't think that anybody's going to, you know, leap onto the scene early in the year and, you know, jump up to the big leagues with any sort of quickness, but two guys that I keep an eye on that are probably under the radar a little bit is uh catcher, Daniel Vejohin. Uh Last spring, he broke his handmate bone. He missed the first couple of months of the season, came back and he, he struggled. Um, you know, the, the wrist was still bothering him a little bit. He hit really well over the last like three or four weeks of the season. And he went and just destroyed the ball in the Colombian winter league. Now in terms of winter league baseball, that's probably like the sixth best winter league out there. So <laughs> right. but he, he's also 22 <laughs> years old. So, and you know, there are some big leaguers that play in that, in that league. So, you know, it, it's not like he's playing against a bunch of guys that are clearly below him on the totem pole. He had a very good year. He led the league in home runs by like, I think he had 11 or 12 and the next closest guy had seven. Um, and th- wow. this was just like 50 games. Um, and he, he, he's known to be a good catcher. So, you know, he's a guy to keep an eye on that maybe, maybe starts getting some buzz in the second half. You know, Tyler Stevenson's going to be playing some, a little bit of everywhere, but you know, the two backup guys, I mean, I don't think anybody's too excited about it. If, you know, I, I've seen some people that are kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, Kirk Casale, but they're remembering Kirk Casale when he was in Cincinnati, you know, three years ago. Look at what he's done recently. He can't hit the ball out of the infield. Now, <laughs> San Francisco is a big park, but, I mean, he he has not hit in, since he left Cincinnati. Um, Kirk Casale is effectively yeah. serving as like an assistant pitching coach right now. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and there's nothing wrong with you know coach. backup catchers that don't really hit much. They're not expected to. They're not asked to. But if you get a guy who is a known quality defender who can also hit, hey, you know they're probably not going to let Kirk Casale or Luke Maley get in his way. Um, right. And then on, on the mound, I'd say keep an eye on Joe Boyle. You know, he he may have some of the best stuff in the entire system between his fastball and his breaking ball. No idea how the Reds keep him in the, in the rotation. Um, you know, he's had plenty of success. He was actually my minor league pitcher of the year last year, but he, he's walked like seven and a half guys per nine innings in the rotation. Uh, his stuff is just so good that when he doesn't walk guys, they still don't do anything. But I, I, I do think that his future is going to be in the bullpen. I don't think it's going to happen you know, right out of the gate this year. But, uh, hmm. you know, if, if he does struggle a little bit, in the bull or in the rotation, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved to the bullpen rather quickly, because I I, just, I really don't believe anybody truly thinks he's going to figure it out enough to be a guy that you can give the ball to every fifth day. Um, and if he goes to the bullpen, you're going to probably mitigate a little bit of his control issues, and that stuff might play up. And if that that stuff plays up, I mean it it it's really really good already. So he's like I get I get I get big Tanner Rainey vibes from Joe Boyle. Is that is that a decent decent enough comp? So yes and no. I think when you're talking about that pure stuff, now they do have different kind of stuff, but it's that good when it's just, when it's there, it's incredible. The walk rates are the same between the two, but watching them, I think that Joe Boyle has better control, even though the walk rate might actually be a little bit higher. It, it It's really weird because when you watch Joe Boyle pitch, he doesn't miss by that much, usually but he misses yeah. a lot by a little bit. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah. if he can yeah. get, you know, a catcher that can frame him well, 
you know, <laughs> look, look out. Yes. Yeah. You'll see that thing drop in half. You know, what's been, yeah. what's interesting is I kind of want to go back and watch some of his starts is, um, oh my gosh, I, it was baseball America. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. They had a thing, an article about how the Tampa Bay Rays have picked up pitchers that have had control issues in the past. And almost immediately when they come to Tampa Bay, their control improves. They're fixed. Yeah. And, I, read, and, I saw that as well. And basically yeah. it was just like the catcher puts his glove in the middle of the strike zone and says, throw it here. That That's pretty much what oh. it was, <laughs> but it worked. Like they weren't asking mm. these guys to try and hit the corner or it was just throw it to the middle of the zone or, you know, that's where I'm going to put my mitt, throw it here and just let your natural stuff play. And guys have just started throwing strikes and having success because the Rays are also doing this with guys that have really good stuff. I'm like, well, what, what about Joe Boyle? Would that work for him? Is that is that kind of been his issue? And I honestly don't know. I haven't gone back and watched enough of his starts to really, with this new information that, hey, maybe this does work, to see if that's kind of something that was going on before or, you know, I don't know. But it, it, it's, just, it's something that crossed my mind with very specific regards to Joe Boyle when I was reading that article. So what you're saying is, is that when, uh, back to Carlos's question, when the Reds try to trade for Randy Rosarena a year from now and they call and ask about Joe Boyle, the Reds should say no, but also what do you know and why do you want him? <laughs> well, that you should always ask that question of the Rays when they call and ask for one of your players. But Indeed, indeed, yes. Um, that's interesting. And, and very hands as well, like that, you know, seeing him healthy and um, and, and hitting as well as he did in Winterly play, it's, it's intriguing because the Reds have spent – they spent a, a decent amount of draft capital the last couple of seasons on, you know, guys who they hope to be catchers in the mix going forward. And, you know, we've not seen Jackson Miller play and since they got drafted, we've yeah. not seen a lot out of Matt Nelson. We've not, Chris Oakey's gone. Um, so the, the next catcher would be nice to find, especially if Tyler Stevenson really is only going to catch 60, 65 games a year uh, going forward. That's, that's a, you know, talking about clear paths with Brandon Williamson, um, if a catcher can jump out and, and hit well and advance well and control pitching stats well, uh, there's absolutely an opening for that within this organization also. So that would be that'd be a nice a nice perk if he comes out of the gate well and, and improves upon that, that win league performance. So, um, well, good stuff, guys. Well, uh, Doug, thank you very much for hopping on with us this time, man. We'll look forward to having you back at some point in the near future and, uh, and yapping about what else we can find uh, as, as spring training advances. But um, – I think it's about everything we had to, to jump in and cover tonight. Any, anything else you got, BK? I'm good, man. Let's. Uh, I'm just yeah. excited for games to start up and uh, looking forward to seeing seeing how things start going uh, on Saturday. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be back next week with um, uh, you know after the the initial game action that we'll get on Saturday. Uh, the Reds and Guardians are, are are facing off in Goodyear Ballpark to to kick things off on Saturday. Um, we'll see more videos of how close Joey Votto is to potentially getting back on the field. It looks like he's, um, you know, he's been a little bit mysterious in, in where he's been so far in spring. It doesn't look like he's 100%, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be ready for opening day. And uh, who knows what, what Joey's going to going to pull out of his hat to pull that off, but we should have more information on that as well as all the other developments in camp um, as things finally begin to get, back to being the most normal spring training we've had since what, since 2019, I guess, um, which seems like it was yesterday, but God, we're getting old. So, um, <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, uh, for Doug and for BK, uh, I'm Wick and thank you for listening. Like, and subscribe where you find us. Uh, you can find us pretty much wherever you find podcasts these days. Um, I say that 
We'll have a couple changes to that coming up in just a few more weeks, and I'll get into details on that the next time around. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening to Walks Will Hunt, and we'll see you next week.